Welcome to Broken But Not Divided with Andrew Youssef. This is a listener-supported production of Humanity Vivified. To learn more about Humanity Vivified, please visit www.andrewyousef.ca. Hello, everyone. We have a bonus episode today, and it's about the role of education in the context of controversies. Uh, with me today is David Aziz. How are you, David? I'm fine. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So just to start, I mean, I've known you for quite a while now, but most of our audiences probably would appreciate an introduction. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your academic background and the area of education in particular? Hi. Uh, so my name is David. Uh, I'm a pharmacist by trade. Uh, but I've been working in academia for about eight, nine years or so. Um, it, recently, I have started a post at, at University of Liverpool School of Medicine. My expertise is around medical education. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in how we can use reflection as a way of education. And I also have expertise in uh, online education, online delivery. Wonderful, wonderful. Thanks. So I I will ask, first of all, very, very basic here. What is education in general? And what is it in relation to Christianity in particular? So I would say education is the um, transmission of knowledge or transmission of skills. So I know something. If I want to teach people that something, that thing, and uh, I or if I want people to know that thing that I know, I teach them it. If hmm. I know a particular skill, same. Uh, you know, I need to teach them this skill, whether to train them with it or train them on it. Um, so this, this, is, this is education. In the church, um, to me, uh, for, in, in, in the Orthodox context, education is about revealing the reality of God's presence in our lives, in our lives, um, in an authentic way. It's about the revelation of this in a way that um, allows the, the 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 people we teach to realize this, um, to remove any barriers or obstacles to understanding or perceiving this union with God, this already in existence, and to provide a good example of how to live as Christians. To me, this is what Christian education is about. Um, there's um, there's a, a guy called uh, Bujamra. I think he he was. I think he's a, he's a teacher at San Vladimir, and he says something quite profound. He says the goal of Christian education. I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I can't remember exactly, mm -hmm. but the goal of Christian education is deification. Mm -hmm. So, so if what we're teaching does not lead um, those we teach to a deified life it's not really teaching it's it's obsolete it does not it's, it's, it's of no value from a christian orthodox context mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so would you say that it would be reducing theology to a mere philosophical slash mental gymnastics more or less absolutely mm -hmm. absolutely i mean i mean and you, you know you've i've seen you i think you've seen these things so you know people who grab a book and they read a couple of pages from a theology book and they learn a couple of Greek or Latin words and stick them on uh, a post to look clever. They think that is teaching or they think that's education. And, but this is not, this is not the case. Mm -hmm. 
I can, and, and, and I'm sorry, but I think you'll understand what I'm trying to say. Anyone can read a theology book. Anyone can read the theology book and understand it and understand the, 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 the philosophical background and, 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 what, and what happens behind the scene, but not everyone can live the theology. Yeah. Evagris, and Evagris says, a theologian is the one that prays. You know, if you don't pray, you don't know God, you're not a theologian. You are a theologian with the with with a capital T, but you're not living a theological life. Um, I like I like in, in a recent uh, recent sermon by the Pope um that he gave to the, the Holy Synod only like last week, he says, um he says man is I'm I'm in the process of, of, of translating it. He says man is the repository. Um, I, I can't think of the of the right word, but man is the repository of divinity. Hmm. So, if you are the repository of divinity, how can you reduce this into mere words? Um, Father Tadros Malati, in his book about um, divine love, love, divine love, he starts by saying, "I can't talk to you about love because love is God, and I can't talk about God." You can't, you can't express in words. You can't try to make sense of it in words because this is how we perceive things, how we express things. But to me, what was expressed in words is, is only in one aspect of the whole journey of theology, of the whole nature of theology. And I have learned much, much more about things that are expressed in words. Let's say, let's call them the mental gymnastics, as, as, you, as you so eloquently put it. I think I've learned a lot about this kind of stuff from real Christians, good Christians, mm -hmm. who just lived it. They didn't bother talking about it. Yep. Yeah. I I definitely can relate to that in my life. I just want to clarify to our audience that when you refer to the Pope, you're referring to the Pope of Alexandria, namely Pope Toledris II of the Coptic Orthodox Church, uh, not so. Pope Francis. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and. I noticed you mentioned Evagrius, and uh, I think that's a good segue for us to move to an important element of, of Christian education, and that's the, I don't want to say the monastic, but the discipleship-based version of education. Um, so yeah, we, we both, from knowing each other, know that we have seen people who've influenced our lives uh, with whom we might have theological disagreements, but with whom we have a relationship that has shaped our, our theological life if not our theological knowledge. And I'm wondering where does discipleship in, which is very central to orthodoxy, fit into the whole educational context from your perspective as an, as an academic and as an orthodox Christian, both? I, th I think as an academic, as an educationalist, and as an orthodox Christian, I, I, see, I see the relationship between discipleship and orthodox education seamless in the sense that um, I mean, you know, modern pedagogy is leaning more towards this whole idea of shared learning, mm -hmm. um, the idea of of sharing the the process of learning. There's a guy called um, Liv Vygotsky, um, a Russian a, a Russian uh, pedagogist, um, educationalist. Um, he's he sort of he started he's the first in modern times he started interpreting the the. Um, Process of education as a as a sociological uh, interaction, as a sociological contrast co uh, construct. Mm -hmm. So to him, the learning that takes place it takes place in a sociological contrast is a, co a, co a construct. Sorry, not a mere transmission of knowledge. So pedagogy is leaning towards that. Is we're learning by experiencing now. You know, experiential mm -hmm. learning is the whole new area of pedagogy. 
you know, we learn by experiencing things, we learn about reflecting on things. And if we take that, and if we look at it from an Orthodox perspective, this is exactly what happens in Orthodoxy. My first experience as a, as a Christian comes from my parents. My first understanding of Christianity comes from my parents. Mm -hmm. I see my parents pray. I see my dad reading the Bible. This is how I learn what, how, to be, how to be a Christian. I see my parents, uh, you know, the love in the house, uh, how they love each other, how they love other people. That's how I learned to be a Christian. Then I go to church and I see similar things. Mm -hmm. um, and I, see, I go to the liturgy. The liturgy is a beautiful example. Um, and Shmiman, uh, Father Shmiman, is he made a lot of emphasis on the use of pedagogy as a, uh, a sorry, the use of the liturgy as a pedagogical tool. Mm -hmm. the, the liturgy itself is a is a good content, is a good curriculum, and it's a good delivery method because you see what you, you see what you're learning, mm -hmm. and you live it, and you're experiencing it, and so and it it does encompass. I mean, I don't know if you would agree as a theologian, but it would encompass the totality of our faith. Mm -hmm. I, so to me, discipleship is, yeah, um, to me, discipleship is about this experience, this learning from others, this learning from other Christians. Mm -hmm. And I have had, I've had some interesting discussions with some people, with, with, with some people, for example, you know, you know, the, 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 the sort of the uh, um, controversy around um, deification, for example. So some people may have, uh, or they, they might not be so easy with the usage of the term deification, particularly in Arabic. Mm -hmm. But interestingly, I've seen from these people, they deified uh, conduct that I only aspire to dream of reaching at one point in my life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you may, you may have a disagreement with someone about uh, something like penal substitution, but at the same time, this person has so much love and has seen so much uh, so much in the mercy of God and has been so touched by by the the reconciliation of the resurrection in 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 a way that I would I I am only learning from him or from, from her so and I've been in this situation I've been in situations where I learn where you know I would be facilitating facilitating Bible study or be leading a Bible study but I'm the one that's learning from other people around me. I'm not saying this in an arrogant way I'm saying this in the sense that to me, the, the process of, of, of uh, you know, uh, sharing the Bible study experiences is, is a fellowship. We are learning from each other, but sometimes you are the person who's actually sitting down and learning from everyone else. Okay. And you've been, I've been in a situation where people who have been uh, teaching before I was even born and they're sitting, uh, talking to me with complete humility. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and expressing their views with complete humility that can, I can, you can only sit down and learn from these people. You can only uh, take what they teach. So discipleship takes two forms in my view. So it takes a form, takes a, a vertical form, you know, you know, from, from the elders and, and, you know, people who are a bit more experienced than you uh, have had more of a religious experience than you or um, more of a, or in terms of either its age or experience, or and also um, a horizontal. We all learn from each other in the church. Mm -hmm. I learn from my little girl sometimes. Um, you know, sometimes I'll be talking to her about something, and I'm the one. I'm the one that ends up learning about, you know, from her perspective, from her, from her pure perspective. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is what discipleship, and that's, that encompasses the the, the spirit of orthodoxy. Um, St. Paul, when St. Paul was, when Saul was converted by, when, when Christ appeared to Saul, he sent him onwards to learn from, uh, from, from Ananias. 
Yeah. Um, so there is the idea from very early on in the church that no man is an island. You can't, you'll not learn from God alone. You will learn by participating in a relationship with those around you and participating and seeing how they practice their Christianity. And this is how you learn. This is how you come to realize the, the sort of the, your status as a son of God or as a, as, as a daughter of God or as a child of God. And this is how you find the Holy Spirit inside you and how you find God within you by, by other people telling you how they live. And that ends up removing obstacles for you from understanding that and realizing that. Okay, so I think, I think the analogy you gave of, of, the, of discipleship being vertical and horizontal is, is spot on and definitely something I've experienced myself. Um, also, the piece about the people versus what they say, uh, like in terms of conduct versus life, is, is very important to me. Um, before being engaged, I was invested in, in monasticism and I had very, very serious monastic intentions. And I remember that I've learned in my visits to the monastery uh, from a simple monk who lived an ascetic life, was not particularly that old either, uh, but was very, very wise, probably couldn't give a sermon in front of a, a, a crowd, but sitting with him and being in his presence one-on-one -on -one has taught me probably as much, if not more than about seven years of, of theological education now in, in the academic world. And I think that's definitely speaking to what you're saying. Um, I want to pick your brain a bit about the difference between discipleship as we know it, and as you explained it now, versus scholasticism. And maybe start us off by defining what scholasticism is. So, I mean, scholasticism is, is, is what you said before, is reducing uh, theology, reducing our understanding of God to a series of statements, uh, logical statements or intellectual statements that explains how we understand God. Now, you know, as a Coptic Orthodox, I, I, I will talk from the Alexandrian tradition point of view. So um, the Alexandrian tradition, you know, infamously there was the School of Alexandria, School of Theology. Mm -hmm. And a School of Alexandria viewed God or the knowledge of God as not a series of statements, a series of, a series of theoretical statements. It was an experience. Didymus, uh, St. Didymus Lablain calls, um, when he talks about Christ, I mean, I, I'm paraphrasing again. Um, when he talks about Christ, he said, Christ did not know sin because he did not experience sin. Mm -hmm. So to him, the idea of knowledge without experience was absurd. Mm -hmm. So we can't know God unless we, unless we experience God. Um, you know, there's a famous saying in, 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 in Egypt, um, do you know someone? No, I don't. Uh, yes, I do. Have you ever lived with them? Then you don't know them. So the idea, you can't know God unless you live with God, unless, unless you live the divine God, the divine life. Um, and this is the nature of knowledge from, from an Alexandrian perspective. And I think that permeates through in, in, in Eastern theology and, and amongst the Eastern fathers. Um, but the other remarkable thing is, um, is how the Alexandrian School of Theology was constructed. So in, in, um, in the late Bishop Samuel uh, of, um, I think he was Bishop of the Services. Yeah. Uh, and he, he I, think, I think he died, I mean, he was martyred in 1978. And Actually, he did today, master. Just like Sorry? today. Like I think today is the day. Of no, I think it was, 
6th of October, wasn't it? Bishop Sami, because he died with uh, with uh, with Sadat. Oh, yeah, you know what? You might be you might be right. I think the reason I thought it was is because I just saw the video of his martyrdom with with Sadat being assassinated uh, just today. So I thought it was today was his feast or the commemoration of his no, death. It was the 6th of October because it was the commemoration of, uh -huh. of the October of the Yom Kippur War. I see, so, I see. My bad. <laughs> No, it's fine. It's fine. So he he's done he's done his thesis, and I think it was was with, with Princeton University of Princeton, um, and he's done his thesis on on um, on education in the Coptic Church, and then when he talks about um, he perfectly captures what we're trying to say when he, when he talks about how education was in the uh, School of Alexandria. So he was saying that that. The most important, as I mean, they said that the teaching was uh, it took a form of you know it was a slightly didactic in the sense they gave lectures. But he said the main feature of it, or what really made it stand out, is the teachers made good examples for the students. Uh, some of the I think I think he quotes some of the students making testimonies about the teachers, saying the teachers were full of love and and the the the, the cohort and there was love between the cohort and the teacher. And we know as well that that you know Saint Clement of Alexandria, who was a, a teacher there, he valued sympathy towards his students and valued the shared learning and the shared experience. So in our in, in the Alexandrian tradition, the understanding of discipleship, the understanding of education, was never alien from discipleship. Mm. It was never seen as two different things. Now, classicism. Fast forward a few years. A few years come to the Middle Ages. This classicism. Uh, sort of comes up and it tries to rid itself of few years of or few centuries of discipleship in Christianity and tries to make God um, into series of statements, like we said, and to try to fit in with the enlightenment and etc. Hmm. And you end up with a situation where people are only learning about God and learning, not learning to be like God. And that becomes problematic. Uh, again, St. Clement of Alexandria says the in his book, The Instructor, he talks about the, um, the, the instructor, the instructor in this case is Christ. And he talks about Christ being uh, practical and uh, not theoretical. So theology is practical. Theology, theology is not theoretical. I can't learn about God without knowing God. Mm -hmm. um, it becomes absurd. Or, or at the very least, it becomes something that does not make me a better person does not make me a christian mm -hmm. because as you will know anyone can learn about christianity anyone learn, can learn about theology we have there are in fact some muslim scholars uh, who know more about the orthodox uh, church or the orthodox theology than a lot of uh, modern day orthodox theologians mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. so let me let me take this to something that's more um broken not divided show uh specific which is here we mostly talk about controversies how they're resolved how they're not resolved and and what happens around the various controversies in church so how can education help us accept the other with whom we have a disagreement and and a real controversy uh, in other words who is my neighbor in the context of christian education i think that's a very 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 important question and I think it's a question that touches upon our understanding of discipleship and our understanding of, um, of, of orthodox education in the sense that 
if if I if we agree that tolerating the other and loving the neighbor is a good thing, mm-hmm. and it's a Christian thing to do, then it's something that we do. Mm. And if it is something that we do, it's something that we're going to teach to others by our example. Mm. So if people who are discipled by us, uh, they will learn that from us, okay? And they were learning in the context of the fellowship. If we don't practice it and we only think of it as a good thing in theory, then you end up in a bizarre situation where you are not you where there's a contradiction in from what in, in what you in between what you practice and what you preach for instance let's say you are talking let's let's grab any one of the example that you mentioned in your uh, last podcast you know the iconoclast uh, or the icon uh, uh, controversy so um if those or if the icon files are pro icons because it is because of because it is the incarnation essentially it is the incarnation incarnational theology mm-hmm. then they should love icons because of the love of god and because god became man so man can become like god so if god if god whose love became man then i can become like us i should become love myself so i should love other people mm-hmm. and loving other people by his very nature is to understand other people, to comprehend what other people are doing and to comprehend what other people are going through. You can't, you can't, you know, you have to love other people as you love yourself and you can't love other people and you can't, lo- and you can't love yourself unless you understand yourself or at least mm-hmm. accept yourself for who you are. Yeah. So it's similarly, we can't love other people unless we, we have an insight in what they're talking about, what they're saying. And without understanding, not without understanding that no one is evil by nature, no one is um, no one is saying the wrong thing because they are bad people. They, that's their understanding. Mm-hmm. So unless we get to that stage in our own theology, we will not be able to show love to our neighbor, as you mentioned it. Yeah. And similarly, we can't teach it. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm reminded when I first qualified as a pharmacist, I was very dogmatic about what I practiced. So um, if, if a dose was... Uh, or if you know, if let's say two drugs theoretically should not go together, but under specific circumstances they can, but these these circumstances are only known by experience or only known in niche niche circumstances. So I would immediately uh, you know point this out and try to get it changed. But as I became more experienced as a pharmacist, I understood that I can allow myself to make a decision based on my own understanding and my own judgment. So it becomes a judgment-based decision, comes a practice, uh, you know, a decision based on practice, a decision deviating from the standard, let's say, in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's deviating from the standard, but it's still the right decision because everyone is different. Similarly, if I learn theology as a series of facts, as a series of doctrines, without understanding, without the living the practice of it, without experiencing it, I, I become hollow. I become a person who has uh, absolutely no love for theology as a practice, but I have love for theology as a theory, and I will only judge others the same way. So if you don't adhere to the same theoretical background or theoretical principles that I adhere to, I can't accept you because I'm not living it. And And because I'm not living it, I'm unable to read the variations of it that other people may have. 
yeah. like similar to the other example that you mentioned last week in your last podcast about the Easter. You know, Saint Irenaeus was so deified that to him, this variation only enriched Christianity, only enriched the church. Other people, if they didn't reach that same level, to them, they understand the theory, they understand why Easter is on a Sunday, let's say, and to them it has to be on a Sunday because they have they don't possess the spirit of or they don't they're not that well connected to the spirit of God. They don't have they, they don't practice the theology in a way that allows them to see why other people may see it differently. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you I'll give you an example of something I've seen recently. And it, it alarmed me a bit. So I was watching a, a video um, the other day, uh, something on, on, on social media, and it was about a guy who was attacking the Holy Synod because the Holy Synod showed mercy towards someone who this guy perceived as a heretic. Mm. And he was quoting a story, and, 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 and I think it's something that uh, might upset you a little bit. Um, you know, when St. Nicholas, uh, when, when it's allegedly St. Nicholas slapped yeah. Arius across the so he was saying, if this is what we're supposed to do with heretics, we're not supposed to show mercy. And then he came up with another story, which I, I'm, I, to be, I must admit, I must confess, I have no idea where it's come from. But he also claims that Nestor, uh, when he died, he was buried and um, there was and there, there was a tip, a, a garbage tip on top of him. And people would, would throw their rubbish on top of his, his grave because they didn't have respect for him. And he was saying, this is what people are doing in the tradition. Why are we not doing the same? Hmm. And allow me because in this guy's uh, in this guy's journey or mission to defend the faith in his own eyes, he is resulting to the complete opposite, to the complete uh, anti of of Christianity, to the com complete opposite of Christianity. This is not a Christ-like behavior. This is not Christian behavior. Nope. And. And I wonder if this is what we're talking about here. If this is, if this is a result of people only accepting or understanding theological terms, or even transforming their own experiential theology into theological terms, so they can come to terms with their own selfish and uh, selfish desires or their own carnal uh, tendencies. So, because I have a selfish desire to prove the the person opposite me wrong. What I'm going to do is I'm going to transform what I know about theology into a series of statements so I can, because a statement can be, it can be either yes or no and be right or wrong. You can make uh, a statement in the dichotomy where you can't make an experience of the dichotomy. It's not that easy. Mm -hmm. So if I reduce my experience with God into a statement, I can easily dismiss it because it's, it's, the statement is limited by its, own, by its own statement, by itself. So if I do that, then I can start hating the, the person opposite me without any problems. Yeah. So that so to me, there is the, the resolution from an educational perspective, the resolution to controversies in the church is first of all to teach love, love, loving that loving our neighbor as in our practice. It's not something. You can't, like, like Father Tadros said, you can't teach, you can't talk about love. It's difficult. You can't reduce love into, into, into words, mm -hmm. but you can't teach it by practice. And on top of that, everything else we do in Christianity, so, so first of all, we start teaching it, and, every, and everything else we do in Christianity becomes experiential mm -hmm. and deviates away from 
the theoretical aspect of theology, and that will enable us to make our own experience ap uh, applicable to everyone and be able to see others through our own, uh, through, through, be able to see ourselves through others' eyes and be able to see others through their own eyes and be able to understand them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was, uh, I mean, you know, St. Gregory of, of, of Nazianzen, you know, he, he had a hard time with the councils and he's written a very heartfelt, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, a very heartfelt. Oh, I love it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. When he, when he talks about the council, it, it completely changes our view. I mean, I'll tell you something, when I growing up, I had, before I started becoming more interested in the, in the fathers, I, I had this image in my head that all the fathers cared about is everyone is, everyone is dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That's what I thought, you know, they were going around like dogma police and quickly slapping um, anyone who says anything that's heretical. Mm -hmm. St. Nick did. Um, to me, that's the image I got. But then as I started reading more, I found out, well, actually, no, they hated this. I, I, to me, I think mm -hmm. those, the, those, the fathers who were in a, were in a council, you know, the, the 319 in Nicaea, did not want to be in Nicaea condemning Arius. They did not want to cut, cut, they did not want to cut Arius off. And to me, the, what, the, the letter by, by St. Gregory explains that completely. Um, you know, he says he, he didn't like it. He says he find, he find, uh, he find it very he found it very uncomfortable. He hates being in uh, councils because of the results, because of how alienate people. And and I think this is what we should strive to do. We should strive to find the best in others, even if it's not obvious. Uh, Matthew the poet says um, a lot of the time. I mean, again, paraphrasing, I can't remember exactly. He says a lot of the time I would um, I would have the choice between. Uh, either you know to triumphing um, love versus truth, and then by every time I put I put first uh, love or truth. Every time I put truth first, lo um, love fails. But every time I put love first, truth and love succeed. Yeah, yeah. So that's that. That is that is how education. I how I think education could resolve controversies like this. Yeah, I mean, that's that's very insightful. And I, I must comment here on, on the stories because I, I think stories have a big place to play in, in education, ultimately. Uh, a story like that, which is all often attributed to, to St. Nicholas, has probably next to no evidence in history for it actually taking place. Um, and even, even some of those stories, when they were made up, some people said that he went on and repented for I don't know how many years because of what he did because uh, ultimately you're not supposed to do that uh, but of course when people are hyperzealot they they focus on that part of the story that came far later that they like very much um, similarly with with the story about Nestorius which admittedly I've never heard it before but it's it's funny because you know but if you go back in time four centuries before Nestorius um it's alleged that the, the the Jewish people, out of their hatred for Jesus, that they started putting garbage on top of on top of the crosses that were there, which I can't help but think like if if that's what Christianity used to condemn is something that's not good. And when Constantine and Helen go and they uncover the cross, that's again is condemned. But how are we any different if we're making similar stories um, to vilify Nestorius, whom I completely disagree with and, and hate his theology, but at the same time, 
I, I would not do that to a corpse, ultimately. Uh, I think that's incredibly uh, anti-Christian. And yes, in terms of Gregory Nazianzus, uh, the things he wrote, he wrote poetry about how much he hated the council of Constantinople. And, and in our heads, councils are those beautiful meetings where people are kind and loving and, you know, bishops are sitting side by side talking about theology. Uh, in reality, it was quite disastrous most of the times. I mean, the Council of Constantinople failed to call the Holy Spirit God in the creed. Was It was sufficient to call him Lord for them and say that he's equal in worship with the Father and the Son, uh, which St. Gregory did not like very much. It failed in ending a schism that involved four bishops claiming to be the rightful bishops of Antioch. Councils aren't exactly uh, always the best way of resolving controversies, and we're going to talk about that uh, in, in future episodes. But now I want to come to uh, something that's very practical and talks to our lives today as, as an Orthodox church. What is the place of academia in the church? Are, are academia and the church reconcilable? And if they are, which I assume they are, because I'm in the church and I'm also an academic, um, how can these two entities um, collaborate and, and get somewhere that is good for the church and good for the people. Um, how can we, what can we learn from normal scholastic education as a church, I would say? So I think that um, there are two different things here. So the role of academia in, in the church. Now, as you know, I'm, an, I'm, I'm, you know I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm interested in theology, but I'm not a theologian. <laughs> but I'll tell you how I understand this from an educational perspective. So, you know, Christ says, you have to love God from all your heart and all your understanding. Um, you, you, as someone who is uh, quite bright and that way inclined, how can you love God with all your understanding without researching God and without trying to read into the fathers and try to analyze things linguistically and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's quite difficult to me, to meet the standards that are set by Christ of you of, of loving God with all of our understanding without doing that. Yeah. And also, if we are saying that knowledge of God is experiential, and we try and divide that from our in intellect, we become in a very difficult position because how can you experience something in, on two different levels? It's quite mm. it 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 goes against what we sort of it goes against how we live our lives as Christians. If we're trying to live our lives as simply as possible and to be pure of heart, we can't have two worlds. We can't have two experiences. Mm. So if you are that way inclined, you can, you have to be, you have to put in an effort intellectually, depending on your own ability. I'm not saying that this is a requirement. Mm. What I'm saying is you wouldn't be true to yourself if you say, if you, for example, you find a theological uh, question or a theological problem like Corona, like, you know, I, I've read your book. So you, had, you were faced with a problem about corona. You couldn't just, you can't just stop there. You're not true to yourself then, are you? You need to start mm -hmm. researching it and looking into it. So for you to stay true to your experience and to stay true to your, um, your commitment to loving God with all your understanding, you have to research this. Just because you chose to actually do it in a university with a PhD, that's only... There's only the, the, the sort of the institutional appreciation or acceptance of your academic prowess or your academic journey. But we all engage with theology in academically in one way or another. Um, 
depending on our ability and depending on our commitment. You know, those of us who reach the fathers um, are doing this in a certain way. They are looking at it in a systematic way, etc. So there is a way. I mean, just because you've committed your time and you've learned, you know, under some uh, brilliant academic theologians who to tells you how to who tell you how to do it properly, and you learn the uh, original languages, that is that's the way you chose to do it because you want to do it the right way because this is this is your ability and this is how you prepare to do it. So this is how I understand that. And Clement of Alexandria talks about. He says, it's not impossible to be a Christian without uh, and be illiterate, but it helps to be, to understand what's going on. It, 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 it is quite, and he calls it uh, faith engaged in learning. I think this is the, 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 the term he used. So we are learning in one way or another, but to what extent that's what makes us different. And it does not make anyone better than the other. You know, like, like you said, like the, the priest in, in the cell, he, you felt that he's someone they can learn from, not because, and it, it, you know, it, it's not because you're better than him or he's better than you or whatever. It does not make you a better person to know more. It's just, this is your ability. This is the situation you find yourself. This is the position you are in. Yep. And if we also, you know, if we take into account, into account that, um, you know, what St. Paul says about um, in, in, in Christ, I was crucified. Now I live yet, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. If academia is not a synergetic uh, endeavor that we, that you are, or academic theology, I mean, that you are approaching with the grace of God, then it becomes just like any, any other science, any other social science, hmm. and it becomes devoid of uh, the spiritual aspect, and it wouldn't make you a better person. Hmm. In fact, it might make you the opposite. You might become uh, puffed up, as, as, also, as, the, as the, the, the Bible says. So, so the role of academia is important mm -hmm. um, on a personal level because of these reasons. And the role of prayer with, with academia, with academic research is important. Now, on a church level, I think it's very important, going back again to the corona example, without being engaged in academia, we will not know what's going on around us from a theological perspective, we're being closed. And we are not and we are not called to leave the world. We are not called to ignore what's around us. So that's one way of theology interacting with the world around us is through academia. Mm -hmm. So now I can look into the problem like, like, you know, like, or like you did. You looked at the problem of Corona from a theological perspective by researching it, by reading around it, by drawing uh, parallels between the New Testament, the Old Testament and, and patristics writing. And, and early Christian writing to come with a conclusion with regards to Corona, uh, COVID. So that's one aspect of it. And we are, there are lots of different aspects. The world is changing, lots of things are happening and we are always forced to re-examine our position to come up with new answers. Not because the answers are changing, but because the application is changing. And maybe the language we're using are changing. Maybe the terms are changing. You know yourself, uh, the councils have used different languages. The, the communal councils have used different language across the, the 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 three first councils. Yeah, I mean, we don't even need to go to the councils. It's as simple as looking at the King James Version versus the New King James Version of the Bible. Uh, prevent our way, O Lord, today does not make any sense, but back then it meant prepare the way before us. But now it's exactly. endless. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So without academia, we these answers will not be available to the, to the rest of the church. Mm -hmm. And if we look at you know, like sort of how postmodernism 
has evolved into what we have now, which is a social media existence where people, everyone is coming, with, coming up with an opinion. It's quite important for us to identify the truth from all the noise. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the, the, the process by which we identify the truth is the one that needs academia, as much as I'm saying the way we clear out all the noise is what requires academia. Mm-hmm. Um, I can put, you know, I can, someone could put a video and, or someone could put a, a quote on Facebook, for example, or any of the social media and say, uh, I mean, it's something that I think you posted recently, you know, about the, the, about the church fathers being misquoted a lot of the time. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So a lot, of the church, a lot of the church fathers are being misquoted. Uh, I don't know whether deliberately or, under, or, or not deliberately. So we need academia to, to help us identify what the noise is and to rid us of the idea that um, experience is a change of truth and variation of truth. Experience is not a variation of truth. Experience is different experiences of truth. And I think academia is a good tool in, 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 drive, in, in driving that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we look at, academia, at the, the room of academia and education, mm-hmm. without having these answers readily available by reliable theologians or reliable people who are engaged in theological academia, um, our education becomes challenged mm-hmm. in a way. In terms of your other question around how we can use um, modern pedagogy in, in, um, in church education or in discipleship, <clears throat> I, I am always, or I'm sometimes saddened by how a lot of good um, orthodox attempts at education fail because of poor educational design. Mm. Um, and in no way I'm saying, uh, that educational pedagogy or pedagogical theory should come first um, at the expense of discipleship, but we should. But there's no, there's nothing stopping us using both to produce good church education. For instance, I see a lot of programs being produced, particularly post-COVID, particularly with the people, a lot of people resorting to online teaching. So a lot of things, a lot of programs are being uh, designed with poor structure. Hmm. Uh, poor, poor interconnectedness between the topics. So you have, for instance, you may have. Uh, I don't, I'm, I'm coming up with examples. So you may have. You say, well, you know, I'm going to start teaching uh, about. I'm going to start a Bible study. So I'm going to start with, uh, with with Genesis, uh, a summary of Genesis. Then I'm going to go into uh, Matthew, and then I'm going to go to Psalms or whatever. So th- things are not connected. Or maybe they want to adhere, to, they want to do a Bible study. So they want to do a Bible study through uh, using, I don't know, some marks, for example. But the Bible study does not have a running theme throughout. So each session is not connected to the one previous to that. And education builds Education builds on previous experience. So, you can, I can, so the, the result or the benefit from teaching something that's not connected to the thing they taught previously would be very minimal. So that's one thing. Another thing is sometimes you don't have the aims, um, they, they don't have the aims clear. They don't have the objectives clear. So you go into a Bible study and literally it is a commentary on a verse by verse, which is fine mm-hmm. if depending on your audience, but it's much more profitable if you have a message that you want to, that you want to give across. If you have a particular um, religious concept or theological concept 
or the liturgical concept that you want to bring across, you want to take across to your audience, rather than just rather than just aimlessly going through the going through the the the, the chapter verse by verse. Um, you know, each verse is useful in its own right, but it's much better to have a running, a, a, a clear aim out of it. Yeah. Yep. Another thing I find, and 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 I find quite. Um, well, I think find quite challenging is how we a lot of the things that we teach are not suitable to the ages we teach on. For instance, um, something I think you and I discussed previously: the stories about the martyrs, teaching the stories about the martyrs with all the gruesome details to young children. Yeah, I have no problem with knowing about the martyrs. I think it's amazing, but there's a lot of good stuff. You know, if I'm teaching about Saint Abenob, Saint Abenob is a 12-year-old. Uh, who loved God so much that he actually gave up his life uh, because he loved God. Now, to me, the first part resonates a lot more with children than the second part. The first part, a child loving God so much that even that we made him into a saint and now he's so valued by the church is much more useful to a child than the bit about his torture and the death. I mean, we can go as far as saying he died for his faith, but going through the details is quite... It can be quite problematic. Yeah? It can be quite challenging for children. Yeah. It's something that they may they may explore later on in their life when they're more emotionally prepared to do this. Yeah. Um, themes with punishment, themes with sin, with with young children, do not necessarily make sense. In fact, you might sense. In fact, you might be exposing them to something that might harm them because they might want to explore what sin is in mm-hmm. their own lives, and that it might be what Paul more says about the law, ultimately. If I yeah. did not have the law, I wouldn't know what sin is and, and, and so on. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah. So to me, these are some things that we can learn from pedagogy and, and bring, in, bring into, um, in, into the church. The other thing as well, which is I, f- I find quite ironic, is I think modern pedagogy is actually taking lessons from discipleship. Mm-hmm. And we are, in a way, in some, some, some settings, the church is... Uh, distancing itself from discipleship in some settings. So we're going toward didactic teaching, mm-hmm. teaching of things that are not necessarily uh, relevant to what we're teaching. Whereas now pedagogy is saying, well, actually, we're not focusing, you should not focus on content anymore. You should focus on your aims and your learning objectives. But we're saying, actually, no, no, we want to focus on content. I want to teach this and this and this. It doesn't matter what I'm trying to achieve, but this is what I want to achieve. This is the content I want to teach. So become quite content focused rather than methodology focused or aims focused. And I think this is something else that we can learn from <coughs> modern pedagogy um, and bring into the church to make sure that everything fits in together. Everything uh, has, a, has an aim. Everything matches each other and everything is age appropriate. Um, so these are some of the things I think are, are can be quite useful. Yeah, I, I think really... I mean, that's far-fetched, but I would love it if the Synod of the Coptic Church is listening to this episode and they hire you to develop our Sunday school programs. Um, I think there is a lot that can be benefited from in what you uh, what you just said. And I think what's even harder than listening to stories is, is watching them when movies are produced. Uh, I know I have childhood trauma from some of these movies uh, that, were, that were produced in, in Coptic circles and definitely emphasized the... The gruesome uh, things that the martyrs went through. Um, yeah. yeah. To to recap, I think I think we've covered a lot, and and what we covered is very useful in terms of seeing how um, the the 
modern pedagogy is not exactly irreconcilable with discipleship, but rather sometimes they draw from each other and, and there is kind of a, a return to the classic way of doing things, which is the discipleship based. And I must say, I don't study theology every day, uh, but I pray compline every day. And I learned to pray compline from my parents by simply seeing them do that. Um, theology is something that I have to make space for and, and make sure I have my desk and my books and my pencil and, and so on. But compline has become a second nature to me. And that's because I, I was taught that by discipleship rather than by um, the, the pedagogy of academia, pretty much. So I, I definitely can hear what you're saying. So if, if you were to leave a message right now to, to the church in terms of what the church should do with Christian education, what would it be? Something very short for us to conclude with. I'll tell you something. So I've got a story from my childhood. So I used to, uh, one of the most prominent or one of the most, the one most prominent in my memory, uh, Sunday school teachers, is I had them, I can't think, I think it was my teacher when I was eight or nine, something like that. Mm -hmm. I had them briefly, only like for a few months. But that guy was, he, he taught with so much love and so much passion for God. And, and he is the kind of person that, I mean, he was not particularly charismatic, but because of his passion, you couldn't take your eyes off him. Mm -hmm. And the way, and, and we've had, I mean, an interaction with him outside of the classroom was also remarkable. The guy was so loving and, you know, I mean, we've had incidents where he sort of was, I was upset about things, I, you know, as a little kid, upset about something and he came after me and stuff. And I was so, um, so attached to this guy in a way, or so sort of drawn to this guy. And I was so, so I was such a disciple to this guy to the extent that he was so passionate and he was wearing glasses. And I didn't wear glasses at the time. And he, when he would, he would talk, he would move his head quite quick, uh, like, rapidly. Mm -hmm. And his glasses would fall like that. So in the middle of talking, because he's talking with so much passion, would go like this, push his glasses back. Mm -hmm. And I started doing that, even though I was not wearing glasses. And that's the impact of discipleship on an eight-year-old mm -hmm. me back, and that was happening in the happened in the nineties. My point is, Sunday school may not have been designed as, uh, with with discipleship in mind, at least the Western Sunday school. However, in Egypt, it has functioned as a vehicle for discipleship. Mm -hmm. um, in the West, so in the Coptic Church, it's, it's functioned as a an effective vehicle for discipleship. In the diaspora, um, this has come with its challenges in the sense that, you know, there was a lady called uh, Nora Preston. She, she did a study on uh, Sunday school in, in, in London about 10 years ago, I think. And one of the things she, know, one of the things she noticed is, um, you know, parents are the ones teaching in, the sun, in Sunday school because they're small communities. And, uh, and the adults are teaching their own experiences to the children. So they're teaching the challenges that they're facing uh, as, as immigrants, but the children were not having this experience because to them, this is home. Um, so she was say, so, so, so she said that this is the actual, this is the real challenge that the children are facing um, is that the, the, the teachers are not teaching them what they want to learn. But to me, this is actually a statement of success in the sense that the ch children are so hung up on everything that the Sunday school teachers are saying mm -hmm. that is actually causing them a challenge. Mm -hmm. 
is causing them problems. So Sunday school may not, uh, may not like I said, may not be designed for, for, for discipleship, but it can be a strong vehicle for discipleship. So we need to go ahead with that. We need to continue with that, with this discipleship to be a strong theme in it, in and outside of the classroom. That's an important relationship between the children and, or between the, those being taught and the teacher. The, the continuous relationship. I am not just, I'm not just a teacher inside that classroom. I'm a teacher outside of the classroom. I'm not, I'm not, even, not even a teacher. I'm still, okay, this link is not severed by the time I walk out of the classroom. I love my students in the classroom and outside the classroom, or I love the people in the church inside the classroom and outside the classroom. We need, to, we need to continue with that. We need to start teaching more about the true relationship between us and God and how and the, our true and the true divine life. We should try and deviate away from moralism and apologetics and things like that because, I'm, I'm talking for in, in the West, because I am still to meet someone who left the church because they, because of evolution or because of, because of the Bible, what well, the Bible stands on evolution or because of creationism. That's not the problem. The problem is a lot of the youth, I mean, I'm, gener I'm generalizing deliberately here. A lot of the youth are not finding answers to who they are. So we need to have the content match what, the, what we want, what the, what the youth want to learn. What's going to make the youth a better person? Not by teaching them, but telling them what to do, but revealing to them what is the true nature of their union with God. Mm -hmm. If I tell someone that they are the image of God and, and the, the, whole, the, the, the purpose of their journey is to continue, is to be united with God and the, the, the whole purpose of their life, that makes a difference. If I tell them that I will embrace them no matter what, even if they go out there and start and, 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 and make mistakes and sin, you know, the sex, drug, and rock and roll seems to be the thing that, that's always covered in, in a lot of Sunday school, you know, stay away from sex, stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol. Uh, if I teach them that, okay, you know, stay away from things that take you away from God, but that's, that's not the, the, the important bit. The important bit is I will love you regardless. You're a member of the church regardless if you fall or not. That's important. So the in terms of content, we need to bring it back to the tradition of orthodoxy. We need to bring it back to messages that reveal to us the nature about our, our union with God. In terms of method, we really, like I said, we need to continue with the discipleship. That our con in fact, our method becomes more important than our content in, in, in the orthodox education context because our method is love and what we're teaching is love. <laughs> Focusing on the... Things, focusing on the things that make us, uh, make us um, feel, make the youth feel accepted is another important thing. Um, I think sometimes the youth do not feel embraced or accepted within the church and that can drive them away. So um, teaching the right, the right content with the right method should go away into, um, into, um, into bringing, bringing the youth in. So I think these are some of the things that just off the top of my head. Um, another thing as well is to sort of, I mean, my, my vision is to have uh, education in the church in, in different levels. So you have a level for research and, and academia, and then you have a level for um, so church leaders, and you have a level for, for, the, for, for everyone else. 
and they're not so rigid levels, but they sort of they're, they're, things are pitched at different levels because you don't not, not everyone needs to learn everything at every level. Um, and I think that needs to be encompassed. Education is not, a, it's not a single project. Education is a series of projects. Education is a culture, education is a life. Our liturgy is an education. You know, um, in the history of the, in, in the liturgical history of, the school of, 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 of Christianity, there is a catechumen uh, liturgy. There is an educational liturgy. There is an educational process. Um, so, you know, for example, um, the, the, the Copts have always valued Sunday school, have always valued the liturgy that in the diaspora, they had Sunday school after the liturgy, which is quite uncommon. In <laughs> most churches, have Sunday school during the liturgy. In fact, I've been to other Orthodox churches where the Sunday school was during the liturgy. Yeah. So the Copts have always felt they can't, the, ch the children cannot be dissociated from our church lives. Uh, Father Peter Farrington, um, um, you know, he, or he says he says that children are not, uh, you know, they're not learning to be Christians. They are Christians, and 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 that applies to everyone else. No one, you know, we are all Christians. We're all part of this, and we, you know, Chris and Ambangelos, the uh, Bishop of London, he always says Christianity is not a spectator game. You don't stand on the side and watch. We are part of this. We are part and parcel. We all we're all teachers, and we're all learners within the context of. Of, of, of Christianity and within the context, particularly within the context of liturgy. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you, David. That was that was very insightful. The, the recap at the end definitely uh, covered everything I, I had thought of and did not think of. So thank you for that. Thank you for uh, joining us on the show and uh, many more to come. I'm sure we'll have you for uh, more bonus episodes in which we have interviews where I talk with people more intelligent than me. So I look forward to that. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew, and, and it's been a, such a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Consider rating this episode on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you're feeling generous, consider becoming a patron at www.patreon.ca slash humanityvivified. Until the next episode, Christ is risen.